This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. I'm joined by Graham Williams. Thanks for coming in. Always glad to be here. We have so much to talk about here on Get Connected today, your guide to digital living. Later on in the program, we'll be chatting with the folks uh, over at Philips, specifically the Philips Hue folks. This is their smart lighting division. We've talked about some of their stuff in the past, uh, special light bulbs and accessories and LED strips you can get for inside your home that you can control with your voice or smartphone. Now they have outdoor lighting, Graham. It's super cool. I'm actually really excited about this. I've got a little 87-square-foot patio, and I need some light. It actually has no lights on it, so I, I need to get myself a little bit of illumination out there. Well, uh, this is the show to listen to this week. We'll also be talking with the folks over at uh, Leviton about home theater speakers. Have you been thinking about getting a home theater going, or maybe uh, having a home theater in your family room or living room. We have the lowdown on uh, what you need to know for that. Before we get to any of those stories, Graham, uh, here on Get Connected, uh, we always talk about the news right off the bat, and I think the big news story this week, Apple is worth $1 trillion. It hit a $1 trillion market cap this week. That's a, that's a huge milestone. I mean, let's, let's go back to 1997, so 21 years ago. Uh, you know, Apple down in the dumps. They're just about to bring Steve Jobs back. And Michael Dell says very famously, what would you do with Apple? He says, I would sell it off and give the money back to the shareholders. And here we are now. Well, he was wrong. <laughs> he was indeed. But, you know, interesting enough during that time, didn't uh, Bill Gates at Microsoft um, invest $150 million into Apple? They really did. And so, so this is kind of an interesting thing. You know, Microsoft at the time under some antitrust uh, investigations uh, agreed to uh, put $150 million into Apple, committed to developing for the Apple platform, um, which was, you know, this huge sign of solidarity. Uh, Steve Jobs booed when he uh, was was booed when he mentioned Bill. I remember that. He mentioned Bill Gates' name in Microsoft and the crowd is, you know, just. Didn't Bill Gates come on the screen? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And they, they at, were a, at that announcement. Absolutely rancorous about yeah. it. But of course, Microsoft Office continues to be developed for uh, for Mac OS, 10, Mac OS, I guess now. Yeah. Um, and it's actually like a key, a key component of the platform. I think, uh, you know, from 1997, we saw a lot of really cool stuff happen. You know, immediately there was killing off things like the E-Mate and the Newton and the Mac clones. Yeah, let's talk about that. Back in 1997 with Apple, uh, you know, after Steve Jobs had left, when did he leave or was ousted? Uh, 1985, 1986, yeah. Wow, so there was a good decade there. Uh, They came out with some crazy stuff. They did. Yeah, so the Apple Newton, maybe ahead of its time, but too far ahead of its time. The first, uh, I guess, big personal digital assistant. Yeah, the handwriting recognition was sort of groundbreaking, except for the fact that it didn't really work. <laughs> um, you know, Palm Pilot had their graffiti yes. uh, text input system, which was sort of this almost shorthand style of text input. Uh, very, very cool stuff. And that actually worked. Uh, the Newton, though, really struggled with it. Uh, there was the E-Mate, which was this tiny little uh, black and white portable that was used for education. Uh, which I lusted after back. I was you know, 16 years old. I really wanted yeah. one of these things. And Steve came back and basically it was almost like the Grim Reaper. You could picture him walking into Apple just with a scythe and just cutting departments left and right. Didn't, do you remember the Apple digital camera? They actually had a digital camera. Yeah. So this was actually a collaboration with Kodak. And yeah. it was, uh, I mean, it was, I think, 0.3 of a megapixel. Uh, incredibly expensive, as most Apple oh, things Oh, super were expensive. <laughs> Uh, and back then, the quality uh, of the images, like you said, not that good. Not that great. But again, it was sort of this groundbreaking thing. You know, they were really, everything from the laser writer all the way through, they they've, they have been pushing the boundaries and not necessarily always inventing, but definitely innovating as they've gone along. And I think that's something that upsets a lot of people out there, you know, where there's this idea that Apple takes credit for things that they haven't invented. But typically, if you look at the language, 
they're really just about refining things and making them making them better. Yes. You know, there, there have been tablet computers around since the early 2000s. Uh, Microsoft had a ton of them running on Windows XP and Windows Vista. And it was really only in 2010 when the iPad was released that the tablet market really took off. So the question there is, you know, is Apple riding on the coattails of other people? Are other people riding on the coattails of Apple? I mean, there have been some very famous successes. You know, the, the original iMac was a huge success for them. Uh, integrating the computer all into one piece and, and making it sort of affordable and easily understandable. Um, you know, the iPhone, again, bringing all of these technologies together, it was a widescreen uh, iPod, it was an internet communicator, and it was a phone. You know, Steve said, are you getting it? Uh, so some really cool ways of bringing products to the market. There's also been some incredible failures, right, along the way. Uh, in the last, I guess, you know, 15, 20 years, we've seen what? Um, the hockey puck mouse. Do you remember that thing? No. This was the round mouse that came with the original iMac, and it was oh yeah yeah yeah, and absolutely it was an ergonomic disaster. Apparently, it was supposed to be more comfortable, and I can't I can't tell you the amount of cramps that I got from this thing. It was just horrific. You got to Google this. I, I I totally forgot about that. <laughs> the mouse was round. Yeah. Um, what about the uh, the cube? The, the G4 cube, you yeah. know, which the, this beautiful looked like a toaster. It had the CD that went in the top yeah. and. The darn thing just ran way too hot, and they just couldn't make it work. Well, it was fanless, wasn't it? They they, they tried to make it work with yeah. without a fan, and I think ended up, a lot of people ended up retroing it. I can't remember, yeah. but uh, there was also do you remember the Apple Hi-Fi? No. So this was the Apple speaker that uh, you know uh, you could slide an iPod into the top of. Yes. Uh, yeah. Three hundred ninety nine dollars, uh, which you know nowadays seems like a reasonable price for a high quality home speaker. We're willing but to that play was that a lot for back then. Google Home Max and HomePod and the Sonos Play Five. But back then, you know, everybody was looking at these hundred dollar, uh, you know, plug your your phone in or plug your your MP three player in speakers. Uh, so we've we've seen some missteps along the way. And, uh, well, it doesn't matter. They're worth a trillion dollars, Graham. Well, and th this is the thing is really like Apple for as much as they, they occasionally take risks on products that don't work. They take risks on products that do. And, you know, we've seen them do things like drop the floppy drive with the original iMac. People were freaking out about oh, yeah. that. I remember uh, people wouldn't shut up about it. We, when they dropped the CD drive with the MacBook Air, it, yeah. that, that was it. You know, it'll never do it. When they dropped, well, didn't even pick up Flash for the, uh, the iPhone. You know, all of these things where people have looked back and said, you can't do that. We need this legacy technology. It'll never be a success. And every single time, for the most part, Apple has come back and, uh, and showed that they're skating to where the puck is going to be as opposed to where the puck is. So the question now, Graham, Mr. Gretzky. The, the, <laughs> the question now I ask you, do you think they can keep it going? I mean, technology is a, uh, a tough place. You know, the highway's littered with all, all these big tech companies like the AOLs of the world and, and what have you. Um, that just haven't made it in the long run. There, there are a lot of bodies at the side of the road, but yeah. let's take a look at what's kind of holding Apple back from the next generation. Uh, the MacBook Pro actually is probably one of the best examples. The new Core 7 and Core, uh, Core i9, uh, you know, they had some thermal issues with it this year. Uh, Intel, for as wonderful as they are, I think is actually holding Apple back from doing the next wonderful thing. So the big question on everyone's mind is, is Apple going to take those A-series processors and put them into their computers? Make their own uh, computer chips, PC and laptop chips. I say keep an eye on the MacBook for the next little while because I think that's the first place it's going to show up. Maybe a revamped Mac Mini, but uh, I think that's really probably the next step is really bringing that vertical integration together and Apple becomes really truly independent. You're listening to Get Connected right now. Mike Eggerbo here with Graham Williams. We've got an awesome show for you today, so stay tuned. Uh, if you're into smart lighting, 
we have the Phillips Hue folks coming on to talk about their new outdoor stuff. It is like super, super cool. And we'll be talking with the folks over at Leviton uh, as well about home theater speakers and everything you need to know to get them in your home. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. want to uh, bring attention to uh, a really important story here. The uh, Canada Suicide Prevention Service, uh, a very uh, important service, uh, has uh, actually ceased its text and chat help as it seeks more funding. To understand what's happening here and the importance of this story, we've got uh, our good friend Brian Jackson from IT World Canada. Thanks for joining us today, Brian. Thanks for having me for this, Mike. So, again, the Canada Suicide Prevention Service ceasing text and chat help because uh, it's run out of funds. How important is this service? I mean, we're talking about people's lives here, and I'm not saying that in an exaggerated way. Uh, this service, which was a nationwide web chat and text service here that we're talking about specifically, which is no longer running. Uh, over six months, it helped 7,000 people. So those are people that didn't want to call the 1-800 number. They wanted to use web chat or SMS text uh, to uh, communicate with somebody and reach out for help uh, in terms of suicide prevention. And uh, over this time, there were 131 active rescues. So these are cases where uh, the helpline directly act, uh, engaged with emergency services to help people that were at risk of suicide. And of those, uh, 53 came from web chat and 34 came from text. So you can see that um, just in six months' time, this service uh, became available provide a new, new technology to link distress centers across Canada and helps uh, more people than even the service operators ever sort of expected that it would and, and met a demand that uh, is really a high demand in, in society. A lot of people reaching out for help uh, with mental health issues. Well, I'm just looking at the uh, the active rescues by age, and uh, a large portion of those would be from uh, you know the zero you know zero years of age uh, to 24 years old. Like uh, that's more than half of all the the rescues by age. And as we know, uh, that demographic typically doesn't like picking up the phone. They they like to engage in chat. So uh, I mean, there's potential of lives being lost here, don't you think? I think there are. And uh, it's sad to say that, but um, when I was talking with the operators of the service and with the people at uh, the Canada Suicide Prevention Association, which is a different group that uh, is connected to some government agencies, they both emphasized how uh, people, young people don't like to pick up the phone as much. Like they, They're always on their smartphone, but it's not often they're actually making phone calls with them. More often, they're on social networks using text-based communications. And the importance of a service like this is that you have to meet people where they are, right? So the forms that they're comfortable communicating in and in the way that they're already communicating. And it's not just young people. Because we're talking about, unfortunately, an area where there's some stigma around suicide here, people do 
choose, often choose a more privacy-enhanced method of communication. So people uh, just feel like they're a little bit more safe when they're reaching out from behind a computer screen or behind, from behind their phone keyboard or whatever it happens to be to uh, chat with these help providers. Where, where does their funding come from? Is this uh, government-sponsored? Is it private uh, mm-hmm. uh, people uh, giving money? And, and what kind of money are we talking about to keep this going? Yeah, well, they need a lot more of it. I mean, they're seeking $25 million just to have operations here, and another $15 million on top of that would mean that there could be more of an awareness campaign that they, these services are indeed available. But uh, the pilot project, which is basically the technology that need, was needed to be created to link all of these distress centers across Canada, had $2 million to work with over a five-year period from uh, the Public Health Agency of Canada, which is the federal body. So that funding began in 2016, and, uh, you know, basically they've been able to launch the technology, uh, build the technology, and um, have this pilot phase. But now they're at the point where they really need some operational budget. So they need consistent funding uh, to fund the frontline workers that are going to be delivering this help. So what's what happens now when people uh, seek help? Are, is there an actual phone line still? So, yes, absolutely. That's really important. There's still a national phone line, and I want to give that number out right now, actually, if I can. Uh, the, the National Suicide Prevention Line is one 456 so again, that's one eight three three four five six four five six six, and that's a toll free number. So that continues to be available. But if you want the web chat or SMS service, um, it's back to what it was before. So the answer is it depends where you are in the country, right? So uh, if you're in Toronto and you navigate uh, the what you know, you start with a Google search maybe, navigate some websites, you can land on uh, a chat service and be connected to somebody. And the same goes for certain areas of Manitoba and British Columbia. But if you're in other areas of the country, then you're out of luck for this type of assistance. We're talking with Brian Jackson from IT World Canada. He's uh, written a a really... Uh, important story about uh, the Canada Suicide Prevention Service ceasing its text and chat help because they've uh, run out of funding. How can people help, Brian? Well, uh, I guess they could donate. I mean, I I don't think this is a problem that gets solved with uh, donations because we're talking about $25 million in consistent funding, but there is an option for personal donations to uh, Crisis Services Canada, um, but the, people should know this is not a charity, it's a non-profit. So what that means is donations don't get tax-deductible uh, receipts, right? So that, that's a problem uh, in trying to raise this money. But really, I, I mean, <laughs> I asked the um, organizers of this and, and the people in, most closely involved with suicide prevention help about this, and they said, they, they don't know where to look for funding. Um, 
most likely it would have to come from some area of the federal government. Apparently, Charlie Angus, I, I've just learned today, has written a letter um, raising concerns about this service and how it's lacking funding. Um, so I guess um, people in government are looking at it and, and perhaps considering options. But I think at this point, we just need to raise awareness that this service has been so successful at what it's trying to do. And, um, you know, it's working with a fundraising group that's really seeking um, to all, all different avenues. It's seeking um, to work with corporations that might want to share services with this phone line, this national phone line, and pay a, pay a fee for that. It's seeking donations from corporations and, and help from government agencies as well. Thanks again for joining us, Brian. Thanks for having me. Brian Jackson from IT World Canada. When we come back, a lot more tech to talk here on Get Connected. You are back with Get Connected, Mike Agarbo here in studio. Well, if you listen to the show in the past, uh, you know I uh, talk a lot about smart home and smart home technology. Uh, one of the big players uh, would have to be Philips. Uh, they have their Philips Hue line of uh, smart lighting. The stuff is fantastic. They make all sorts of different types of bulbs and LED strips that can be controlled with your smartphone. And now with pretty well every voice assistant that's out there from Siri to Alexa to Google Assistant, well, I'm pretty excited because they've just announced their outdoor line of uh, Philips Hue lighting. On the line, we've got Kelsey Monez. She's a product marketing manager over at Philips. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about Hue for uh, a moment. How many years has Hue been around with uh, the different smart lights? Uh, Philips Hue has been around for about four or five years now. And uh, you guys have uh, primarily been involved with the uh, the indoor smart lighting Um now you're into the outdoor uh, lighting now that uh, can be controlled, uh, again, with a smartphone and, and voice assistant. What kind of uh, different lights are we looking at here? Yeah, so really excited to introduce the outdoor line uh, to extend that Hue experience to the outdoors. And within the new line, it consists of three wall fixtures, a spotlight and a pathway light. And the spot and pathway light are the full color, so they allow for 16 million color options. That's kind of cool. So these are uh, the the little um, spotlights that you can pretty well place anywhere. They have to be connected to a, an electrical outlet, though, right? That's right. Actually, they're really easy to install. It's kind of a plug-and-play. You connect them through a cord, and then you actually use the power source to connect right to your outdoor outlet. And for the spots, you know, you can highlight different areas of the house or maybe your tree or your garden, and the pathway lights are just beautiful to illuminate a pathway or even within your garden. And you said the, the pathway ones are uh, the 16 million colors as well? Yeah, both the spot and the pathway light. And and how do they come? Do they come in packs, or do you buy them individually? Well, we have what we call a base kit. So the spot comes in a base kit, which is three spots and the power source. And the pathway light base kit is one pathway light and the power source. And then we have the additional add-on, so you can buy individual spots or pathway lights. And we live in Canada, um, Kelsey. Uh, <laughs> like we're going to give these things a run for their money. Like, how are they with the outdoor weather? And I'm in Vancouver, which you know rains 99% of the time. You're back east in Toronto, which it gets pretty cold in the winter. Yes, it does. And so how so, do they last out, out outside? Are they made for Canadian winters? Yes, definitely. They're outdoor rated. So similar to how you have your outdoor fixtures now, you know, on your porch or on your garage, they're fully rated for outdoor use. 
um, you know, and the winter temperatures as well. And for the listeners out there, uh, they will need what's called the Hue Bridge. Uh, you know, if you do have Philips Hue lighting now, can you use that same bridge th- to control the outdoor lights? Yeah, exactly. You use the same square bridge, um, you know, and you just add, just like you would a normal light bulb in the house, you add the spotlights or um, the pathway light, and it just actually appears on the, on the, uh, the app that you have. So it works with your current system seamlessly. Well, it's kind of cool, too, because you can actually set uh, different timers for these through the, uh, the app quite easily. So, uh, you know, if I just want these lights to come on between uh, 8 o'clock and, and midnight, uh, for example, you can program uh, that right on your smartphone. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's an amazing feature. I use that myself all the time, being able to schedule when the lights come on and off. And with the outdoor, it's, it's even more, um, you can really see that experience come to life because, you know, you're driving home and your lights are already on outside of your home, as well as maybe a few inside that you've programmed as well. So we're talking uh, with uh, Kelsey Monez from Philips about the Philips Hue outdoor uh, lights. Uh, so far, we've talked about the spotlights. Uh, the pathway lights, those uh, basically you can set up yourselves. But you've also got the ones that can, uh, you know, be installed on the outside of your house, which might need an electrician. Yes, that's right. So tell us about the different models you have there. So we have three wall fixtures. Um, Two of them you can kind of put by, you know, the entrance of your door. And then the third one is more the security light. So you'd have that on your your garage or maybe in the backyard for security features. Um, And these, uh, again, can be controlled through the app and, and even the voice assistance? That's correct. Yeah, these, all these three fixtures come with a single white bulb, so it's the same bulb that you'd use in your house, and they're in the outdoor rated fixtures. If you wanted to, you can actually switch it out with a color bulb, a Philips Hue color bulb, and have that 16 million color option outside in these fixtures. I was wondering about that because I love the color uh, option because it just adds uh, so much more ambience, uh, obviously inside because I've, I've got personally a bunch of lights, but it would be nice to have that on the outside as well. So it's the actual fixture that's keeping it weatherproof, you're saying? That's correct, yes. Now, the, one of the outdoor fixtures, the security one, has um, larger spotlights, and those ones are actually outdoor rated because it's not an enclosed fixture. So those ones are good to use outdoor in, in other fixtures as well. Where can people find out more information uh, about uh, the outdoor lights and uh, when they're available? So currently the outdoor range is available right now at Best Buy stores as well as bestbuy.ca, Amazon, and, and Home Depot. And if you want more information, you can visit meethue.com. Thanks for joining us, Kelsey. Thank you. That was Kelsey Monez from Philips talking about the new outdoor Philips Hue lighting system. you got to check it out. Some pretty cool stuff. When we come back from the break, we still have more tech to talk here on Get Connected. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Continuing on our uh, smart home and home entertainment theme uh, this show, Wanted to bring on uh, the folks from Leviton. Uh, they make all sorts of stuff for your home to keep it uh, connected. Everything from uh, power outlets, switches, smart switches. Today, though, we want to talk about home theater. We've got uh, a couple of their experts uh, on the line. We've got James Shirty. He's a product manager for uh, Leviton. And Greg Rhodes, he's the director of marketing over there. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. Yeah, happy to be here. Greg, maybe just uh, give our listeners a, a quick rundown of who uh, Leviton is. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of us see your uh, stuff in, like, the Home Depots uh, of the world, but uh, tell our listeners what you guys uh, encompass. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're, we're definitely all over Home Depot, and, and we're all over your listeners' homes as well. We are in probably three-quarters or more of North American houses with 
your standard light switch and outlet and, and the things you rely on every single day. Now, we've really been doing that since, gosh, 1906, 113 plus years. And uh, now today, manufacturing over two and a half million products as a privately owned manufacturer. So really cool to have Leviton as a global company and headquartered in New York with an operation for the smart operation down here in New Orleans, where we focus on connected home, distributed audio, and all the cool, fun stuff coming to market right now. James, uh, why are you guys into home audio as well? I mean, you guys have been big into the, the switches and plugs and things like that. Why home audio? Well, you know, we focus uh, here in our New Orleans group on products for a connected home, uh, really as a whole. So for us, this ranges from uh, smart Wi-Fi lighting controls to architectural audio uh, and home theater. Uh, really, Leviton has been participating uh, in-home audio for nearly 15-plus years. Uh, a long time ago, we recognized the benefits of providing quality architectural speakers that our dealers and contractors could also offer alongside uh, Leviton products, such as uh, audiovisual-focused uh, wall plates, um, connectors, enclosures, and adapters. So it really made a lot of sense, especially as whole home audio and installed home theater systems uh, became more prevalent. Um, our, our first speaker offerings uh, were really kind of an entry-level uh, spec-grade line, which we still have today. Uh, but from there, we cultivated a partnership with uh, JBL to bring in a more full-featured uh, home theater speaker offering to the market called Leviton Architectural Edition. And recently, we've added some uh, great new products to that line. Talk to me about uh, what does architectural mean? So when we think architectural, we really think installed installed audio. Um, so these are speakers that go in your ceiling, that go in your wall. Um, so not only do they have to have uh, the performance you would expect and the performance you would need based on the space uh, that you're trying to fill, but a good architectural audio solution also uh, really is aesthetic. It's pleasing to the eye. It's seamlessly integrates uh, within your environment. So it really becomes um, it becomes part of the space as opposed to a floor-standing speaker, for example, uh, or a bookshelf speaker. Well, it's interesting. Uh, I wanted to get you guys on the show because, uh, you know, we were doing research. We wanted to renovate a, a space to kind of create a, a home theater. And, you know, when people think home theater, uh, a lot of folks think, uh, you know, a special room in, in the basement uh, that's, you know, geared for that. But, you know, more and more people are enjoying, uh, you know, their shows and movies uh, in their regular living spaces, like their living rooms or, or family rooms. And, um, you know, what impressed me about uh, some of your speakers is just how uh, seamlessly they, they blend into the wall. You almost can't see them. Uh, absolutely, and, and that's something uh, that, that we're very proud of as well. And a lot of that comes down to the, uh, the trimless grill. Uh, so rather than having kind of a thick bezel that you might see on, um, uh, you know, more traditional in-wall speakers, our Leviton Architectural Edition line uh, is trimless. It has a, a nice full magnetic grill uh, that kind of completely covers the speaker, and it's paintable as well, so you can really blend it into your environment. So what should people look for in, in choosing speakers? What's some advice you could give? Well, there's a lot to consider. Uh, there are different types of speakers, different speaker layouts, different speaker specifications. I think for us it breaks down to uh, three key categories when reviewing uh, a speaker purchase. So the first is really sound quality. So 
So it's it's the clarity of the sound or the fidelity. So how well is the speaker uh, producing the sound you want to hear, be it are you using the speaker primarily for music? Are you using the speaker primarily for um, home theater, so for uh, for movies and, and dialogue and, and TV? Uh, the next would be performance. So when we think performance, we think uh, really kind of loudness, output, how the sound uh, fills the space uh, directionally. And then lastly is, is aesthetics, which is really uh, important. Once these things are permanently installed, you, you want it to look uh, nice uh, in your space and you want it to architecturally fit the rest of the way that you've designed your room. And Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah let, let me jump you know, in real quick here. I mean, sure, you know, James sure. brings up a great point. As a consumer, you really have to balance that kind of price-to-performance ratio, as we say. And that's why, as James says, we have that spec grade line. We have the JBL Architectural Edition, and we even have you know, sound bars, if somebody just wants a very basic solution for that movie environment in their standard living room. So it's really how high do you want to go and, and how how crazy do you want to get, right, James? Uh, you know, uh, very well said. I mean, our, our goal with our Leviton Architectural Edition line is to have options to help you build out your perfect home theater. Um, and so it comes down to having um, those different choices, uh, different sizes for, for different needs, different size spaces, uh, but still delivering clarity and full immersion sound uh, from any location and, and looking good once it's installed. How many speakers should people be looking at now? I mean, kind of the sky's the limit. You know, we used to have 5.1 surround sound, uh, then 7.1, and, and now there's like uh, Dolby Atmos, uh, you know, speakers in the ceilings. Uh, what, what do you recommend? Well, that's, a, that's, a, that's also a good question. You know, a lot of this comes down to the space that you're trying to fill. Um, typically, if you have kind of a, a larger home theater or family room, um, a 5.1 or 6.1 system uh, is really going to do it. So you have your, you have your, you can have a center channel in front, your left and right, and then you have your surround left and right, and you can even have a center channel in back, and then you have a subwoofer, and from there you're going to get you're going to get great cinema quality sound. And when you have more speakers like that, they don't necessarily have to be um, really large speakers to fill the space. You, have, you really want to think about I mean, just uh, when you select your speakers, you want to make sure you're, you're selecting the right size speakers and amount of speakers to fill the space um, that you have. So it's kind of, kind of know your room, kind of make sure that, okay, well, I have a flat wall in front of me so I can put in in-wall speakers here. Or maybe I have kind of a, an angular wall behind me where the surround speakers might go. So I can't necessarily put in in-wall speakers, but I can put in um, in-ceiling speakers that are really good in off-access locations that's still delivering that, that quality sound. Um, you know, our flagship speaker is a in-ceiling 6.5-inch woofer trimless speaker. It's our LAE 60. And it's incredibly versatile and, and perfect for these exact types of applications. And it's really made, since it's an ceiling speaker, um, to maintain that quality sound even from higher elevations. So it's not just the size of the room, but it's also the height of the ceiling. And so um, it works really well um, in lower ceiling rooms or even higher elevation rooms or off-access off locations as well. We're talking uh, with our good friends uh, James and Greg over at uh, Leviton all about uh, 
home theater speakers. I mean, we're just scratching the surface. Where can people find out more information, guys? Yeah, we direct people to leviton.com forward slash automation, and that's where we have really our full offering of automation systems, lighting controls, uh, and, of course, uh, audio systems and distributed audio speakers, uh, including the JBL solution that James has been speaking about. Well, we've been uh, impressed so far. We're actually uh, doing a, a TV segment on uh, our Get Connected TV show coming up here in the next uh, few weeks, so looking forward to getting uh, that out. Uh, again, very impressed uh, with uh, what we've uh, had to work with. Thanks for, again for joining us, guys. Absolutely. Pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. When we come back from the break, it's App of the Week time. Stay tuned. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network right across Canada. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. One last segment here. It's our app of the week. Graham, what do you got? So this week's kind of an interesting one, and it's one where I'm actually going to adamantly ask users out there to download this and give this a try. It's called Notes on Blindness. Notes on Blindness? Notes on Blindness. And this is a VR experience, so you can use it with Google Cardboard, or if you've got like a little VR headset, you can also use it without. But it's best experienced as a VR experience. And this is uh, the story of a man named John Hull. And in 1983, uh, he you know, experienced some steady deterioration of his eyesight and became blind. And so to help make sense of this, he actually began documenting this stuff on audio cassette. And so there is a six-part VR experience that is this app that takes these daily recordings um, and basically makes it an interactive form of nonfiction storytelling where you can kind of follow his experience here. And so this follows a specific memory, specific specific moment using binaural sound. So basically you put headphones on, you put your VR headset on, crank the brightness up uh, on your phone, and you can kind of experience what it is that uh, he was experiencing as he retells it to you uh, in real time. It's absolutely incredible. I really, really enjoyed this. Uh, I think it's worthwhile, and I think uh, you, you should give it a go. That was our app of the week. Don't forget to listen to our App Show every Sunday here on the Chorus Radio Network. It uh, airs on uh, Global News CKNW 980 here across the Chorus Radio Network, 10 a.m. Pacific time every Sunday. Check it out. This is Mike and Graham logging off for Get Connected. We'll see you again next time. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.